Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Scientific Coaching Podcast. This is episode three. I am your host, Lucas Berry. Alongside me, virtually in Morgantown, West Virginia, is Mr. Darren Shrewsbury Jr. How are you, Darren? I'm doing all right. It's kind of cloudy. It's out. always, yeah, yeah, it's going to be that way for a while. <laughs> At least it seems that way. But hey, you know what? It's that time of, week, of the week again. Time to record a show. And it is. I always look forward to this. It's really fun to do. I agree. But we have to get to get to the fun. We have to talk about something not so fun, and that is the passing of the winningest head coach in the history of professional football, at least in the NFL. Don Shula passed away at the age of 90 yesterday. Uh, he has the most wins in NFL history with 328. Next is Papa Bear George Hallis with 318. And then Patriots head coach Bill Belichick is third on the list with 273 wins. So I'm the one, to my knowledge, that broke to you that Don Shula had passed. I don't know if you've seen it before I told you. But uh, what was your reaction to that? I was it was quite surprising. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it, it this year, as everyone says, it's the beginning of every year. Is oh my goodness, everyone's dying. But this one's like so many people, or uh, like especially sports. Uh, you know, former sports stars or current sports stars and things like that are just they're almost dropping like flies. And it's it's kind of it's it's really crazy to to see, especially when it starts getting to names that you recognize. Uh, yeah. You're like, wow, like what is going on? And then I was watching Pro Football Talk this morning on NBCSN, and they were talking about whether or not Don Shula would be on the Mount Rushmore of the NFL. For the entire history of the league, it has 100 and will be 101 seasons in the fall. That's to be on the, the four Mount Rushmore, that's a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. But if there's anyone who deserves it, it's Shula. Yeah, I mean he's the only head coach of an undefeated team in the history of the, of the history of the NFL, seventeen and zero. I mean Bill got seventeen and zero, but he didn't get a Super Bowl trophy at the end of it. He got a trip to the AFC Championship game for it. Yep, that's true. I, to me, this is one of the more impactful deaths in NFL history. Because, yeah, he was getting up there. He was 90. But still, it's like you go and, you, and it's one of those weird things where even though you know someone's old, you've always just, he's here. And then all of a sudden, he's not. And you go, wait, what? All right, we'll have to shake it off. But, uh, yeah, I condolences, number one, to the, uh, to the Shula family and to the Dolphins organization. First off, I mean, we can't, we can't forget that. But... This is a big loss for football as a whole. At least to me it is. And on that note, we have someone else in this show's uh, topic range that passed. And I'm going to let Darren explain to you just who that is and why it's important for the show. So yesterday, of course, this, this happened two days ago at this point. But yesterday, uh, basically right before I was laying to, uh, down to bed... I found out that um, West Virginia University Hall of Famer uh, Roy Lester passed away at 96 due to COVID-19 complications. Um, so he he was a three-year letterman, uh, th- sorry, not three-year, three-sport letterman at WVU, uh, football, basketball, baseball. Um, he was a head coach, a, a very successful head coach in Maryland High School, uh, 
uh, football where he he compiled uh, see a record of eighty six and ten with one tie as well, and six of his seasons were undefeated. Uh, so that's pretty successful high school head coaching career. And uh, he also briefly coached the University of Maryland uh, football team. Uh, however, he was not extremely successful. He uh, compiled a record of seven and twenty-five over three seasons. Well, then he was let go. Yeah, that'll get you fired. Uh, but he was a very successful high school coach, and he was inducted into the WVU Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame in 08. Also worth noting, he was from Spencer, West Virginia in in Roan County. So a West Virginia native. Yep. Doing a lot of great things in in the state and the surrounding area. So condolences to his family as well. Uh, Certainly, it's never easy to lose someone, but I think, and I don't want to get too into this because I really just don't like talking about death all that much, but I think if someone is 96, it's a little bit easier to almost cope with it because you knew that it was going to happen sooner or later. It's not like Kobe dying when he was, what, 41? Mm-hmm. That He's got his whole life ahead of him. Roy Lester and Don Shula were at the back, were, had played the back nine of their lives. And at this point, they were playing the second, third, the second 18. They were playing, they were playing a second round. If we're being honest, and if we're using the golf analogy, but that's enough for the of the death for this show. I, I've I've had enough, but um, we do have. We talked about this last week. We've been having we've been having a lot of professional football in uh, in the first two episodes, and this show is about college football as well. So I wanted to get this to be a little bit more WVU related, and in that spirit, in that way of doing things, uh, I'm going to present a question that will give us, uh, those who listen, a chance to go, okay, when it comes to review, they know what they're talking about. What's your first memory of West Virginia football? For me, so I've been been watching them probably since uh, 2004, 2005, about the same time I started playing Little League football um, in elementary school. I don't know right off the bat, like how many memories I have at that point other than going, oh yeah, I, I want to watch football because I'm playing football. Uh, so one of the earliest ones that I can actually think of in terms of where I was, um, uh, the situation around why I was there and how I was actually paying attention to this, this particular game uh, is about the most vivid thing I can think of at this point. And that is the dreaded game that no one wants to speak of. Oh, no. Uh, so I didn't actually get to watch that game in person. And by that, I mean on TV or anything like that. Uh, so I was actually listening to it on the radio, I believe, that day. Uh, and now I know why you sworn off radio and everybody suggests <laughs> you listen to it. Now I know why you don't do it. <laughs> I'm a coast. So I was... Um, I was going to the, I don't remember the name of this hotel because it's changed so many names, but it's the hotel that's right down the road from, from your high school, Oak Hill High School. Um, oh, okay. So that one with the little bar in the bottom of it or whatever um, has a, yeah. a swimming pool in it, I think. Uh, but I was there for some sort of um, uh, military gift exchange type thing, and, and 
backstory for anyone of you doesn't any one of you who don't know uh, my dad was in the military so that's why that applies to me i guess um so we were there it was some kind of gift exchange or whatever and i was sitting there in the lobby uh, with my mom uh waiting for him to come and i was paying attention to the game as as i could i think on the way to the place in the car and then um sitting there in the lobby and by the time my dad comes in the i think the game was basically over and i asked him what he had heard because at that point i don't think i could actually hear the game uh someone had it on the radio but i couldn't hear it very well and then my dad comes in. I'm like, well, how, how did you catch the end of the game? And he's like, yeah, yeah, they they lost. And obviously I was extremely disappointed because at that point I understood that had they won that game, they were probably definitely going to the BCS title game. And both my dad and I strongly believe to this day that they would have won that title game had they made it. Um, but that's probably my most vivid memory uh partially because of the situation that that had occurred uh and it's yeah i guess it does play into its uh, in its own way into why i don't pay much attention to radio anymore i i have a vivid memory of that it's not my first my first is actually the 2005 season uh, my dad took me to watch west virginia play east carolina in morgantown uh they won 20 to 15 and uh, I remember that because my dad, it's my first, my first West Virginia football game. And my dad, they were playing Virginia Tech the next week at home. They had a two-game homestand. And my dad wanted to go to the Virginia Tech game, but he couldn't because he thought he was going to have to work that Saturday. So he got tickets through his work to the ECU game instead. And the next week we found out, that he found out that he didn't have to work uh, that Saturday. He stood in the in our back bedroom and did a jig that he did. He got to watch that game. Now West Virginia lost that game, <laughs> but he got to watch it because they were playing the third ranked team in the country in Virginia Tech. Yeah, but my my memory of the game no of the game no one shall speak of is my mom was sick at that point. We took a uh, this is the first of December twenty seven two thousand seven. Um, if you haven't picked up by what we're talking about by then, that date should fig- help you figure out what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say the school's name. I'm just not. Or the, or the score. But my mom, when we were down in Georgia for Thanksgiving, has started getting sick. I'm not going to go into the gory details, but let's just say she was having problems with her foot. And she, uh, she was in the hospital when we came back to West Virginia. And so we were staying with my aunt over in uh, MacArthur in Raleigh County. And uh, I was watching one of those like network uh, preview shows. It doesn't really have all, I mean, they're not, it's not like ESPN, but it's kind of like their version. So we, I was watching that and they were really getting excited. It was like the brawl for it all things what they were calling. It was really an exciting time to, uh, to be a, to be a West Virginia fan. And, we, I don't remember what reason, but my, mom, but my dad came and got us from my aunt and took us over to a family friend uh, to watch us in Oak Hill. I was actually up on, uh, on Jones Avenue that night. I, we weren't that far apart, ironically enough. But um, we, had, uh, we sat there, and I sat there in the, um, in the living room and watched that game. 
And I remember going to bed, and I, I've never been thoughtless before in my life. I, I had nothing. My mind was completely blank. I couldn't think of anything. I was just that blown away that they had lost that game. And I knew very well, too, that if they had won, they would have played for the national championship. And I'm with you and your dad. Had they got there, they would have won. That team was probably the most loaded I've ever seen in my life. That team was loaded. And then they go and do this. And, of course, my mom was back in the uh, back from the hospital when uh, Rodriguez left for Michigan. And I remember because I was sitting up front watching TV, and my parents were in the back for whatever reason. That would never have been the case. Usually it was the other way around. But they called me back, and it was after the 6.30, the 6 o'clock news. And they called me back, and they said, look, we need to talk to you. And I said, what? And they said, Rich Rodriguez left for Michigan. And I went, wait, what? I, I couldn't believe it. I genuinely thought he's the only football coach I'd ever known at West Virginia. So he he's kind of like, well, he's going to be here forever, right? That's how it works. I found mm-hmm. out real quick that's how it doesn't work. And I could go on and on and on about Rich Rod, but I don't really want to because then you'll start getting me to spew out words I'm not allowed to say on public television. <laughs> this is a public I like to keep it, I like to keep it uh, censored like that. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I also so I do briefly remember uh, the Sugar Bowl, but I only like and, and that parts of that season. But basically, the only things I remember about the Sugar Bowl are you know they got off to an early lead, and by that I mean the Mountaineers, I think. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, and you know Georgia started catching back up, but then you know pretty much they. WVU had control of that game the whole time, basically, and then they won the game. And I'm like, woohoo! Because I think that was my first actual bowl game watching. Because I think since, like I said, about that year was the first time I'd have watched football really in depth, um, at least college football. And then you know that was that was, that was just a fun one to watch. Uh, from I remember having fun watching it, but I don't remember many bits and pieces. Uh, or for some reason, it is vividly. Because I don't remember anything else, but uh, just in case anyone's wondering, well, why don't you remember the Sugar Bowl? Because uh, someone might ask. Because I did, you know, I did start watching about oh four, oh five. I think it was hmm, probably early oh five. Yeah, West Virginia jumped out to a twenty-eight nothing lead in that game uh, into the first, into the second quarter, and then Georgia got it back to thirty-one twenty-eight. Never really got any closer than that, but. They, it ended up being, of course, 38-35, West Virginia winning the game. The first BCS Bowl win in school history. Uh, of course, they would add two more uh, in the subsequent years. But still, really cool. and I, this is what's really cool to me, is I went to a school, Concord University in Athens, West Virginia. Uh, the head coach uh, at the time I was at, uh, when I started at Concord, he left uh, – before my junior year, yeah, uh, was Garen Justice. Garen Justice was an, was an offensive lineman on the Sugar Bowl team. I believe he was a captain on that Sugar Bowl team. Wow. Yeah. I would have to check the captain part, but I know he was on that team. And uh, so that was really I, – I found that out and I went, wait. The, he was on the same team that I started watching as a kid, and now he's the head coach at the college I'm going to. What the heck? Yeah, that definitely hammers home the it's a small world. Yeah, really, really. And then he 
he left for the offensive line job at Florida Atlantic. And then when Lane Kiffin came in, he didn't retain him. Went to uh, Arizona to follow Rodriguez there. That didn't work out. He went to UNLV. Uh, I believe he didn't get retained there. I don't know where he's at now, but I know uh, – I think he's uh, – let's see. Garen Justice is at – oh, he's at Miami now, Florida. Wow. Wow, that wow. ended up well for him. He's the offensive line coach there. Well, what a what a what an upgrade. Yeah, really. You I mean, I no disrespect to uh to UNLV or anything, but my word. And by the way, here's his record at Concord just for the sake of it, to show you how good a head coach he was. Forty and seventeen. And Concord wow. as a program had a winless record as recently as two thousand eight. And he took over in twenty eleven. In a five year stint, he went forty and seventeen. And my freshman year, he went thirteen and one all the way to the national semifinal in Division Two. Well, they got whipped by Minnesota State Mankato. It wasn't even close. They got their rear ends kicked. But that's was not a Concord show. This is a WVU show. But just it shows you <laughs> it shows you two things. One, it shows you the connection that some the there, there's a phrase I've heard from Tony Caridi on the Three Guys Before the Game podcast, there's always a West Virginia connection somewhere. It all leads back to West Virginia at some point, right? It, it also yep. shows how we can get off topic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> As at this point, for the last two shows, I think we've understood that, and I think anyone who might be listening would understand that. If you haven't figured that out by now and but you're listening, okay. I encourage you to go back and listen again, figure it out, <laughs> or just keep listening here. Actually, keep listening here, then go back and listen to those two. Uh, <laughs> so that's our first memory involving West Virginia football. Now I want to get to like the big, broader picture because I like big, broad pictures. Uh, what is where, – where does WVU stand in the national football college football landscape and where should it? Because this – we're talking about the winningest program never to have won a national championship game, but has three BCS bowl wins under its belt and has tied, other schools have tied for the most points scored in the bowl game in 70. This is a good program. And I want to, before we get into that question, I want to I read off the schools that are ahead of West Virginia on the FBS wins list. This is going down from one to just above West Virginia. Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Texas, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Penn State, USC, Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, Clemson. That's a really good list. Yeah, and every one of those, especially since we've started watching football, uh, are, are powerhouses, and most of them, oh, well, powerhouses, and most of them remain powerhouses. Yeah, only and WVU, as we know, has rode that wonderful roller coaster. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, of those lists, I would say only, and I don't mean anything mean by this, but I don't think anyone would, would challenge me on this, only Nebraska and Tennessee have really fallen off. USC to a certain extent, but I don't think that's all USC's fault. I really don't. Only Nebraska and Tennessee have really had, since we've been watching, have not been their former selves. But that's yeah, that is true. But but that's not really our point. So I'll pose pose this question again: Where does West Virginia sit in the in the national college football landscape? And you can put that however however way you like. Uh-oh. 
but where where are they? Do you think? Well, well, seems to be telling me I have a, re- a connection issue. Oh, there we go. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I missed I missed the All last right. I think sentence or so. Fair enough. So where does West Virginia stand as a uh, in the college football landscape as a whole? And you can put that. There's no real way to put it, but just give me your opinion on yeah, that. True. Like where are they a are they a blue blood wannabe? Or are they kind of like respectable? Or are they just I mean, what I think are they? There's a lot of things. I think taking it from a fan uh, who's obviously going to be biased. I'm going to think about it in, in an outside way in the sense that what I see a lot of people say about the university uh, as, a, as a program and, and th- there's a mishmash of things. A lot of them I see, I very rarely, unless it's from uh, the school that shall not be named or, you know, maybe the team we end up facing in a bowl game, should they make it, uh, most of them tend to have that respect that I, that I see. Um, you know, they, they understand this program has been successful and remains at least somewhat successful, albeit over the last few years, we've seen that, um, that kind of wannabe success uh, in the sense that our last, uh, the best season we've had in the last few years had Skylar Howard at quarterback. And that's not to say Skylar Howard was horrible, but we all know that we shouldn't have won 10 games having Skylar Howard and some of the other players we had on that field um so but for the most part I've, I've not seen too much in terms of oh this is an absolute crap program or they shouldn't be anywhere near here or if we hit the top 25 they're a joke team uh it, it seems like there's that respect uh and that might just be based on the the limited uh, interactions i have with the people and i know that when i go to football games there's almost always the mutual respect between the fans, which is always nice to see. Uh, but I'd also add that there's also the, and this, this is from more of a, I guess a professional, like looking at the experts and the commentators and people like that. Quite regularly, they don't even, they still can't register the fact that one, one, that West Virginia is a state uh, and two, that, you know, the, the, the school has been mistaken for Michigan before. And various other schools. I mean, I think it was the Orange Bowl game. Not long after that, it was reported that Michigan won the Orange Bowl game, if I remember correctly. <sighs> so, in terms of just mute, overall respect in in the college football landscape, it's 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 quite a mishmash. But I think it leans more towards the positive. Like they understand this program has uh, many good things that's come out of it, and and. And I think that a lot of us, at least in the fan side, understand that there was a lot of things that can't good things that can now continue coming out of it um, because of, of what we've seen Neil Brown do so far, at least from what I've seen him do so far. I think the fact that they're in the big 12 up the program's uh, uh, respect level and credibility even more because they were in the big East beforehand and the big East is a fine league. Don't get me wrong. It was the people forget it was not a bad league back in twenty like in the in the mid two yeah. thousands. It really yeah. wasn't. You had West Virginia, 
the school up north, uh, taking the Ohio State name from Michigan, uh, uh, USF, Rutgers, Louisville. That was like yeah. half the league. Cincinnati Syracuse, was good. That wasn't was a bad UConn. league. I can't tell you. Yeah, UConn was good I too. I can't yeah. tell you a single year that that I you know from when we started watching watching the Big East that half of those schools weren't in the top twenty five. And I guarantee you, every single exactly. one of them that I can that we just named were ranked at least once during that time. So that was a exactly about as powerhouse of a conference as you could see, and they were consistent for the most part. In 07, when West Virginia lost to South Florida, South Florida got to number two in the country at some point in that season. The Big East had West Virginia and South Florida, I know for a fact, went to number two in the country at that, in that season. And I think Rutgers was up there too in like 06 with Ray Rice. You tell me another league outside of the Power Five that can do that, and I'm not going to, and you're not, you're going to be nothing. The Mountain West, maybe. At that point, they had Boise State and TCU. I think they had TCU. Was, he, was Boise State still in the whack? I don't remember. That's, I'm going to I'm gonna look that up because I really do want to. Uh... I'm not sure if I, I – I honestly am not sure I actually knew Boise State was a school until Kellen Moore started playing. And then that's when, for some reason, I – at least they brought into the spotlight, and then I saw the blue field, and and I was like, oh, so I I, I have no idea what they're still okay, so at that point. Boise State was still in the WAC. I looked up the 2007 WAC standings. It was Hawaii, Boise State, Fresno State, Louisiana Tech, Nevada, San Jose State, Utah State, New Mexico State, and Idaho. Were was the WAC, and I'm guessing the Mountain West. Uh, that puts TCU in the Mountain West uh, because I don't remember them ever being anywhere else. But uh, no, I didn't want 2008 and 07. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's still it's amazing how good the uh, the Big East was. And uh, yes, TCU was in. The, whoa, listen to this: the Mountain West was at 07 was BYU. Air Force, New Mexico, Utah, TCU, San Diego State, Wyoming, Colorado State, and UNLV. It's a pretty good league. Wow. I mean, you got you got uh, BYU could be a Power Five if they were independent. Utah is in the Pac-12, and now TCU is in the in the Big Twelve. Pretty good league. Yeah. But the Big East was one of those leagues where you just go, all right, they're good. The American actually is trying to make a run to be called a Power Six now. They believe that they are, of course, the American Athletic Conference is the reincarnation of the football Big East. After the uh, Big East name got stolen, like the Catholic schools, the private schools that didn't play football mm-hmm. at the FBS level or at all, in when the Big East uh, split, the American is trying to call themselves the Power Six League. So the, the old Big East, if there was ever a claim to that, could lay claim to that. Yeah. Yeah, West agree. Virginia was good, and the whole league was good. But I think being in the Big 12, getting back to my original point, is up to because they are now in a Power 5 league. And I think, here's the thing, if, if we've been, still been in the Big East, Neil Brown wouldn't be there. If Hogerson, Let's assume Hogerson had still left uh, and had stayed in the Big East. You wouldn't have Neil Brown. I honestly believe that. Because I think while the Big East would have been, still been good had conference realignment not mm-hmm. killed it, I still don't know if 
because it, it's not a power job, yeah. assuming it stayed on the same plane it was. Neil Brown, I think, left Troy because he wanted a power five job and he really deserved it. I mean, if just I remember this Kansas State hired Chris Kleiman from North Dakota State on the same cycle that Neil Brown was hired at mm-hmm. WVU. Reports came out that he, Brown, so impressed Kansas State that had they not already agreed as a whole to hire Kleiman, he would have gotten that job if it was if they hadn't already decided to hire Chris Kleiman. Wow. So that job was open before West Virginia was because Holgerson held off until his buyout dropped in half to January 1st. And Bill Snyder retired at the end of the season. That job was already gone by the time was, West Virginia was the only good job so open. In a way, Dana kind of so, helped us. What, in a way, yeah. In, in a way, as, as crazy as that is to say, in, in a way, yeah. I still don't nope, like him. I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, and that's coming from, from two people who, for the first bit of his career, up until maybe the last two seasons, at least for me, defended him and said, listen, yeah. he, he, there's something working. But then, you know, everything fell apart and he did what he did. And that's all I got to say about that. But, but uh, I'm going to add to that because I think I think we owe it to our, to our audience and to ourselves, really, to to – go through why it failed. I, I think there's two things that stood out with Dana Hogerson as to why it didn't work long-term at West Virginia. Number one is his lack of game management oh, skills. absolutely. And I don't mean to just have that sound like I'm, you know, I'm not here to slander the man. That's not what I'm here to do. But, but when I looked at his game management, I was constantly looking at the TV going, what the heck are you doing? I wasn't yeah. saying heck. Uh, but it's like, come on, two instances at Oklahoma State that I can think of on top of my head where it's like, what the are you doing? Why are you doing this? I'm not a head coach by any means. I want to be, but I'm not. And I'm sitting there going, I can manage this game better, and yeah. that's a problem if I'm Yeah, there are plenty that. of times, and it always ties into the, oh, we're all just armchair coaches. But, but when a majority of the, of the fans can sit there and go, you screwed up. You as the player made a dumb decision, or you as the coach made a really, really questionable decision. Uh, it, it, it really makes you. It really solidifies that they did something wrong. I mean, the perfect example of that, and no one, anyone who agree who disagrees, I think you might be a little crazy. Uh, the Marshawn Lynch decision in the Super Bowl, just to briefly show that <laughs> everyone, even me, I sat there watched. Russell Wilson throw that ball, and I and as you all aware at this point, it should be we're Patriots fans. And I said that was the stupidest decision I had ever seen, probably in my entire life. Knowing how good Marshawn Lynch was, they should have won that game. And yes, and they that's should. the perfect example of when everyone knows you made a stupid decision, you made a stupid decision. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that that hurt Dana was at least in my mind, his recruiting style. And I mean that because he was, he had a penchant for those junior college kids Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, but it almost felt like he built the team around the Juco kids. And I think that's a bad way of running a program. Yeah. I mean, because you're, you're, you're inevitably going to fall off the cliff when those guys leaving. You don't have adequate uh, cover. And I mean, it also, he didn't target West Virginia players. He specifically said basically after he got the job at Houston, that, 
he didn't target West Virginia players, and he pretty much called them trash. Without actually saying they were trash, he pretty much did. I, I can do you one better. He said that while he was still at the ah, NBA. That's yeah. remember the remember you know Ryan Switzer, the kid out the kid on the on the Steelers now. Yes, yes. George Washington High School graduate from West Virginia. He while he was coming out, everyone wanted him to go to West Virginia. He never got an offer from WVU because Hogerson was on record as saying there's no talent in the state of West Virginia. That's a quote. Yep. That's how bad it is. And I'm not saying you have to build up with everyone in the state because, let's be honest, West Virginia, as good a state as it is, and we both love it, is not a treasure trove of college football talent for schools like West Virginia. Not at all. It's a treasure trove of talent for schools like Concord and Glenville State and Charleston and Fairmont State. No disrespect to D2, which is – I'd be lying if I said anything different. West Virginia is getting better, though. And they've got a kid on Ohio State. Mm-hmm. That tells you. Yeah, and, and but, it comes down to you've got to target those those gyms that are there. And that he, didn't do a, he didn't do a good job at all at that. He, we've seen multiple four or three, high three, basically, if you want to call them that, and four-star recruits be picked from other schools because West Virginia didn't target them. There was a uh, kid who played at Huntington High School. If you if you listen on uh, on Metro News um, to Statewide Sports Line, no, excuse me, uh, not Statewide Sports Line. What is it? the high school wrap up show? I forgot what it's called now. High school game night. That's what it is. Uh, they have every Friday night. They have people who will call in, whether it be head coaches or reporters throughout the state, who will call in and talk about it. Well, Billy Steele's the head coach at Huntington High School. He's a noted Tennessee fan. He got one of his kids on Tennessee. He got one of those kids to go and play in the SEC. I don't care how bad Tennessee may or may not be. If you can offer from an SEC school, you're good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was a kid, and that same guy went to to Ohio State. Nick Saban came to call him. What does that tell you? That tells me he's good. If Urban Meyer and Nick Saban come a calling, you got something special. For sure. But that that's the two things that stood out to me with Dana as to why it didn't work. Uh, but I I think being in the Big Twelve helps West Virginia. I'm I'll get I'll get there eventually. Uh, but I I think West Virginia being the Big Twelve has helped because I think this program is now. Truly a power program. It has now officially had that. Mm-hmm. Because I think before, and we can, uh, this is going to come back to Holgerson because apparently all things do, apparently. Uh, remember when I wrote a little blurb in my notes section of my phone and shared it with you about uh, Holgerson leaving? And I said, could he have taken West Virginia as far as he could? Because he was never meant to be a power five coach. That's why he went back to the group of five. I, I think I recall that. You yep. recall yep. that? Okay. So that's my point. Was Dana Holgerson always just a group of five coach? And was he always meant to be that? So, you know, it looks kind of strange when he gets hired at the end of the 2010 season, going into 2011. And then in September 2011, uh, the school that shall not be named in Syracuse lead for the ACC. Uh, and then West Virginia is left trying to scramble, trying to find a home because the Big East at that point we all figure out is imploding. Uh, it looks kind of weird and somewhat ominous 
that Holgerson is in a Big 12 guy and then they go to the Big 12. But I, I kind of wonder if, I mean, all the luck is a smart person. Don't get me wrong, but I almost wonder if he really had that uh, wherewithal to say, okay, we're going to have to look and see what's going on and we may have to look at the Big 12. You almost wonder that. I think I saw an article about that, but I don't remember what it said. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to quote it and say something that's wrong. But it, it does make you wonder uh, if Holgerson was always, was never able to be a Power Five coach. And now they have someone who has shown, at least in his ability to build up a group of five program that he is. Yeah. I, I... I think it's uh, – I just lost my train of thought here. Um, so ignore that. Oh, boy. But, um, no, I, I think I think the rationale at first when, when we saw his hiring uh, – you know, I didn't know who the Headley was. Um, I was like, well, okay. And then I understood that he had some big time experience being, uh, what, offensive coordinator uh, at Oklahoma State? Yeah, Texas Tech. Oh, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Um, and he – I was like, okay, so it makes some sense. And when they went to the Big Twelve, I'm like, okay, you, you've got a, you've got. Oh, excuse me, you're talking about Holgerson, not Brown. Yeah, okay. yeah, Holgerson. Uh, yeah, Holgerson was at Oklahoma State. Oh, there was a Texas Tech too, but. Um, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I saw, I saw the hiring. I'm like, okay, so he's he's got some inner knowledge of of the working of the conference. This this should be smart. And we go through his what his first full season as coach, right? Um, is what what would be what twenty eleven? That's the no no yeah yeah that's sorry. the that's that's the Orange Bowl season yeah so his first full season at the helm so yeah we go there uh so his first full season uh in the Big Twelve I guess is the the clarification I should sure. make yeah we're all like all right this should make sense um he's got knowledge we still got a pretty loaded team at least we thought we did um and. They come in, they start off 5-0. and Geno Smith throws zero picks, has like 25 touchdowns. You literally think they're about to come in here as a newbie and run the league. You think that's going to happen. And then the wheels fall off. They lose uh, yeah. what, six games straight. And they lost five, five in, in a row. row. And the first one was, I think, to Texas Tech. I was in... Yep, I was in North Carolina at that point at Carowinds with my friends, uh, keeping track of this game on my phone, and I'm watching it implode, and I'm kind of getting made fun of, not by my friend, but by my friend's guardian, who uh, is a Kentucky loyal uh, oh, person, boy. and he, you know, follows basketball and all that, and he's like, he's essentially going, how the Mountain News do it? Like, kind of joke, joking at me, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. What what what's happening, and and then that's when I start thinking, it, it, you know, it's the it's the the freshman stutter, or, uh, the freshman stutters or something uh, to make up my own term, I guess. And quote the new term here, folks. <laughs> and then you know, then it just never really they never really gain traction even after that. Like they, they, they have slightly successful seasons. My first year as a freshman, or my first year in the university, I, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, going to watch some football. We're going to do better than we did last season. The first losing season that I was aware of as uh, following the team. And I'm like, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, me coming to WVU is a curse. 
and then they come in and basically lose every bowl game that they attend except for the cactus bowl um and i'm <laughs> like things. wonderful just a wonderful <laughs> time to be a mountaineer fan and a student <laughs> if you if you look at that uh 2012 season they beat marshall they beat james madison they beat Maryland, they beat Baylor. I was at the Baylor game. That was a fun game to be at. Uh, I've got a backstory. I'll go back to that. They beat Texas down in, in uh, Austin. And then the wheels came off. Lost Texas Tech, lost Kansas State, lost TCU, lost Oklahoma State, lost Oklahoma. They had to win the last two games to get bowl eligible. Oh, no, they had to win one more game. They beat Iowa State. Then they whipped up on Kansas uh, to end the year. And then they go and they lose to Syracuse in the pinstripe bowl. Yep. Yeah. It was like, you know, seeing these guys the year after they, we all, you know, split up, it was like, oh, this is, this is exactly, you know, this is a perfect scenario. Like, this would be a fun one to watch. And then they blow it. Yeah. And like, West they don't Virginia, just, they actually it, had, remember, they lost to Syracuse in Syracuse the previous year, 49-23. Yeah. On a Friday night. That's the game where Geno Smith lined up under guard. Oh, boy. Yeah. But the story behind me and the uh, 70-63 Baylor game, my dad is an alumni at West Virginia, class of 1978. And so he wanted to go back for homecoming. He wanted to go back for the first big – he wanted to go with the first big 12 game. And up until that point, and at that point still, his dad – his uh, work had uh, tickets, season tickets. And if you asked for them, you would generally – so he asked way before, and can I get tickets to the to the Baylor game? And uh, I said, you're not going to get to – they're not going to let you go to the first Big 12 game because we usually got like Wave and Mary and the FCS schools. Yeah. Those the games we got. And I'm like, there's no way on this earth we're going to go to the Baylor game. Sure enough, there's a ticket on my bed that says West Virginia Baylor 2012. Wow. So we were at that game. We were in the lower bowl behind the Baylor sideline. And uh, uh, I just remember going there. I – in 2012, I was the, one of the managers of the Oak Hill High School football team. And so I, the first time I've ever, ever been around football in a non-fan perspective, because I can't play it with mm-hmm. everything going on medically. So I'd never been around it. But I remember sitting in that lower bowl before the game and just watching the warm-ups. And like, we did those warm-ups last night. That's so cool. And just kind of I, – I always got the uh, connection between high school football and college football. But I really got it then. I figured it out real quick. But you're, but you're right. Here's here's Holgerson's record at West Virginia: ten and three, seven and six, four and eight, seven and six, eight and five, ten and three, seven and six, eight and four. He's sixty-one and forty-one at West Virginia, thirty and thirty-two in conference play, and a whopping Not what? Bet. Two and five in bowl games. Yes, two and, two, one, two, three, yeah, two and five yeah. in bowl games. Yeah, that's that's not good. <laughs> West Virginia has a program that's not have a very good bowl record, but Dana Hogerson didn't help him, didn't help his cause at all. No, not at all. And, and the Camping World that last game, the Camping World Bowl when uh, World Greer sat out, man, that was that was rough to watch. Yeah, I I think I watched half of it and then stopped watching and I, I can't remember specifically but I think I was at my dad's uh, watching that game and I actually no yeah if that's the case I don't think 
it was either that or the heart of Dallas Bowl. Either way, the games were basically over by halftime anyway. But uh, I was sitting there at my dad's watching that game. And about about halftime, I was already going to turn off the game. I was already annoyed. I was already tired of how it was going uh, coming down. And the power goes off. Well, for the rest of the night. Now, my dad had actually passed out watching the game because he <laughs> tends to do that. Uh, he so is mine. Got him not alone. And then I actually, and I was dealing with a horrible migraine that whole week. I was at my dad's, and I don't know why. Uh, so I was like, I was already, in, I was annoyed at the game. I was annoyed at my my migraine and things like that. It was just a, not a fun time to watch either of those games. And I can't, but, but I can't remember specifically which one it was that the power went off. I think it was the Camping World Bowl, but I know for sure it was at least the Heart of Dallas Camping World. Uh, but they were not, neither of them were fun times, but. I can, yeah, I can do so. you one better though. I can do you one better for both. I can say exactly where I was for both. I was in the hospital for both of them. My, oh my, uh, for two, for two Christmases in a row, I spent them in the hospital. Uh, I was in Charleston for the Heart of Dallas Bowl when I was in Columbus, Ohio for the Camping World Bowl. And you can bet your very end, I didn't, didn't turn any of them off because I was pulled out of my mind. I was going <laughs> to watch both those games if no, I was, that wasn't an option. So I can say exactly where I was and I can even still see the rooms and the game. I had to watch the Camping World, the Heart of Dallas Bowl. Uh, so I got moved from the ICU to the floor uh, at CAMC in Charleston. And uh, they had like a old like '90s TV. It was really small, a, a box, yeah, a flat screen. And I keep you know, I'm looking at my laptop right now. It may not have been bigger than my laptop. That screen may not have been. Watching that game, I'm like, well, the screen fits the the game, not good. <laughs> and then I watched the Camping World Bowl on the flat screen in Columbus. I'm like, it didn't help to see this in high def. No, that didn't no, help didn't, at all. Did not at all. But um, yeah, uh, that's that's been. There goes our Dana Holgerson hour. Yeah, <laughs> but so uh, oh, the two things that I want to add to since we were talking about tickets and going to games, um, and you talking about going with your dad, I've actually excluding the TCU game my sophomore year, which I don't really count as going with. Um, I've never actually gotten to go to a Mountaineer game with my dad. Now, I've had a couple chances. Um, the first one being uh, they played the year they played Eastern Washington as the season opener. Um, was it 06? I think it was. That sounds vaguely familiar. I Let me see so. about that. Uh, I know it was when my parents were still together. So it had, I think 06 would have been the latest uh, possible season for that. Um, and uh, my dad had actually won two tickets, I think, from one of the local radio shows. It was either you know, WAY or wherever. Um, I can't quite remember. I'd have to ask him. But he, he won them from, from a, not a radio, but a, a local news station. And I, I, I was, he told me, and I think before that, I was always telling him, you know, I want to go to a game or whatever. But uh, he, him and my mom ended up going, so I was sad about that, of course. And then, uh, as I think I mentioned, the last the last uh, show was I had the chance to go to the Orange Bowl, uh, a, a small chance. That obviously didn't pan out. Um, but the only game that I've actually been to that my dad was also at was the the last second thriller of a game 
uh, my sophomore year, which would have been uh, the 2014 season, where TCU booted a field goal in the last second oh, no. in the game. Uh, so I was in the student section, obviously. My dad being in, you know, one of the. I think he was at the uh, the um, he was on the the side opposite the uh, the hospital. So on, on the scoreboard, on the score, on the uh, big scoreboard end. Yeah, yeah, the scoreboard. End. At that that's time, right. there are two scoreboards there now, but there weren't then. Yes, yeah, so I, I was trying to remember which one was new, which one's the newest one because the, the newest <laughs> one is the one that blocks yeah. the view of the hospital, which I'm just kind of still mad about. Just a little bit. Um, so yeah, he was sitting over there, and um, but I mean, I've been trying to, I, I've been trying to set up times to get you know a, a guest ticket for him to come, but it's not, it's not really easy or it's not really possible i'm not sure to get multiple guest tickets for one uh, game for one person and though that that being a problem because my dad always wants to take my stepmom with and that's not a problem either at all uh but it makes it much harder to try to coordinate with how you know how to actually watch a game sitting next to each other live see th- <laughs> this is why it would have benefited you to get me a, a guest ticket i'm just coming myself i'm not bringing anyone else yeah. i know i'm not doing that <laughs> but yes you're right 06 was the uh it actually was the second game that season marshall was the opener ah but okay. it's still it's early it was marshall eastern washington maryland at east carolina at mississippi state syracuse at yukon at louisville cincinnati at the school i will not name usf rutgers and then georgia tech in the gator bowl that was the 2006 west virginia season I still think it's fun, and I think I said it when I was right after I watched that game, the Gator Bowl, that it was funny that we that WVU played in back-to-back ball games against two Georgia schools and beat them both. Had beat them by the beat them the both exact same and score. beat them by the exact same score. I know, right? If only that game had been in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, that no, would have been that'd be the only that's the only difference. Yeah, I know Atlanta. And then Jacksonville was the Gator Bowl. That would have been a real home game for Georgia Tech because that's where their campus is. I've seen their football stadium. Mm-hmm. I've seen their stadium from the varsity in Atlanta. If you're ever in Atlanta, go to the varsity. You'll thank me later. Just Alrighty. heads up, have your order ready to go. I'll tell you about <laughs> it later because I don't want to copy them. But just, just have your order ready to go. It's a hot dog joint. Know what you want on your dog. <laughs> but anyway, we'll – We'll get into. The, I will wrap up my point of where West Virginia is as a program. I will finally get there. Uh, West Virginia as a program is respected, I think, amongst its conference mates and amongst its uh, constituents in the greater college football landscape. However, I think everyone surrounding the program, whether it be fan base, uh, coaching staff, outside coaches, would admit that getting quality, like, four-star athletes to West Virginia University is a difficult challenge because of where the school is. You don't have all the big bells and whistles that you have at other schools that would be attracting four-star talents. Example, Ohio State, USC, uh, Alabama, other schools, even the Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm sure Texas Tech has had a go at a few. Uh, A&M. Not in the Big 12 anymore, but still. There's a lot of other schools competing for a lot of other four-star guys. So West Virginia gets a few. They've got to make do with three-star guys. And But oftentimes, three-star guys will improve to where they could have been four-star guys. They just, for whatever reason, aren't ranked that high. 
that's what I think West yeah. Virginia is. Yeah, and I think the to put it to that point, I think they're making the effort to make the campus more appealing to these players. Whether or not they actually state this, of course, but it's pretty obvious because they they've been making um, improvements to the Milan Pusco Stadium itself. They've been making improvements to training facilities. They're they're ch- completely changing locker rooms and um, practice rooms and other things like that. So adding all of these new facilities and also they're, they're tearing down old buildings and building new buildings in terms of uh, actual class buildings, the old field house um, and renovating the old field house went down for the new business school. Yeah, that too. And then they, they t- Stansbury's gone. They're rebuilding a new um, building there for, for, to house one of the colleges. They're renovating the building across from it. So they're doing a lot of things that, could potentially attract more of these players. But I think the hardest thing about West Virginia is not the campus, it's the state itself. There's not a whole lot to do in Morgantown. Uh, and, you know, this is coming from a guy who's lived here basically seven years. Um, there's not as much to do here. And the closest thing, and we joked about this when we've talked to um, new professors that we've been, uh, as grad students, have been interviewing, so to speak, um, we've joked about it and saying it's it's kind of funny that one of the most appealing things about the area is that you have to leave the area to get a bunch of entertainment being the city of Pittsburgh. They have, you know, all the music venues, big, you know, they have the Steelers. Let's go um, Pens. They have hockey. So I was waiting for you to they, get there. <laughs> so they have all of that. And it, we joke about that constantly to new potential new hires in the department that, there's a lot of outdoor stuff to do granted there's there's still things to do and music still comes around but a lot of the bigger things to do are in pittsburgh an hour and a half drive north yeah so it, it's kind of hard I, and i can imagine it's hard to sell students especially ones that might be coming from big cities to come to morgantown west virginia and knowing that they have to drive an hour and a half, and a half to actually get some quality and it's a real good quality entertainment now again i've seen some fun stuff here of course um but i'm also uh, you know big for me is is uh, a little subjective based on my my opinion and music of course but uh like there have been some big things here and then you know the, the coliseum occasionally hosts things um but i can imagine that 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 definitely ties into attracting those students and those athletes Remind me to tell you later when my dad gets home from work. Uh, remind me to ask him what band he saw in the Coliseum. I want to say it was like Grand Funk Railroad, but I don't want to quote him on that. Uh, like when it first opened up, because my dad was up there in the 70s when the Coliseum first opened up. So he remembers when when he, like when it was open, it was, when it was used more for uh, concerts than it is now. Uh, yeah. So he remembers that, but I, he did tell me one time he saw a show there, but I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, so let's move on from where West Virginia should stand and where it does stand to what is the state of the program at West Virginia to you? I think you know based on what I've seen last year, and this kind of this will uh, this is at first based on just what I've seen last year, given that we've got a new coach, basically new coaching staff entirely, you know, minus a few people. Um, they, they were essentially playing with almost entirely freshmen and sophomores, you know, really young guys. Um, 
there was a there was an extreme amount of talent there, and we saw that at the first couple of games of the season where they were they were still winning. You know, everyone thought they were going to come out and essentially just put up eggs and have this big goose egg on the on the record at the end of the season because they didn't think at least us fans a lot of us didn't think that um they would actually be able to win given that everybody on the team had left whether it was graduating transferring out because of the new coach um leaving for another uh, job as head coach or leaving for another job as head coach or going to the draft and I actually was, I mean, I'm generally a pessimist anyway, but I, I saw what Neil Brown, uh, and I was aware of what Neil Brown had done at his previous um, head coaching job, that there was, there, he could make things work. And we saw them start off, what, they were three and one at the early part of the season. That and they sounds dropped, right. They, and then they dropped those, those few games because it was their toughest, it was that one, it was the month of hell, I think we called it. Yeah. Um, it was all of the games you did not want to be playing back to back to back to back. And then we saw where their, the, the inexperience was a problem. However, we also saw that Neil Brown, and this is where part of our name comes into, was very scientific about it. He, he moved parts where he thought they needed moved, and he tested his own coaching hypothesis of what scheme would work best, what player where would work best. And we started seeing it kind of fall into place towards the end of that season where we think we know who the big names are on this team now and who are the ones that will carry this program for the next few years. And those being in the young guy, the really young receivers, you've got the leaders and the Stills brothers – and I think next season we might start. We might see that um, Neil Brown trend of they could they could make a run for it next year because of of the players we've seen brought in, the young players we see that are still sticking around, not transferring out. Um, and I, 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 that leaves me quite optimistic, actually, about at least for next year and the couple years to come about the state and in this short period. They did start out three and one. They beat James Madison and NC state in Kansas. They played a goose egg in Missouri. Uh, not on the scoreboard. They did score seven, but for all input for everything else, it was an egg. Then they had the month of hell, Kansas, Iowa state, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Uh, excuse me, not Kansas, Texas, Iowa state, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Those four were in the conversation for the league championship. Right up to the very end. Well, Texas kind of faded away, but Iowa State and Baylor and Oklahoma, of course, Baylor and Oklahoma, they played for the for their Big Twelve championship. But and even then, you saw uh, it was only an eleven point loss to Texas. They competed with Texas that whole game. They really did. Yeah. If Austin Kendall didn't turn the ball over, and I don't want to put it all on him because it's not fair, but if they didn't turn the ball over near as much, they would have beaten Texas. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, but they had they had a ton of turnovers that game. Iowa State was a little bit more of a of a of a bigger spread, but still, it was mm-hmm. it felt like it was there, and then it just got out of hand late. Yeah, Oklahoma was just we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that at Baylor all. And o- Baylor and Oklahoma, right up to the what was it the halftime? They were they were pretty close until not Oklahoma. At least no, was it not Oklahoma? Or am I thinking, no? Which one? Am I Oklahoma. Thinking? You're thinking like Texas Tech. No. Okay, yeah. I know there was at least two or three instances where teams who we thought would blow us away, they were 
pretty neck and neck at halftime, and then it kind of yeah. Texas Tech, I was wrong. Texas Tech was up uh, thirty-five to ten at halftime. Uh, Baylor though was right down to the bitter end. That was a tough one to take because that it was only seven nothing at halftime. Baylor was up. Then West Virginia got it to where it was tied after three quarters, and then Baylor kicked the field goal to win the game. That game felt like to me that it was right there for the taking end. And again, just turnovers just doesn't do you well. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's Iowa State. It was tied 14 apiece at halftime. Ah, okay. And it was 21-14 going into the fourth quarter. Then Iowa State just ran away and hid. Yeah. And, but still. And I think I, this ties in. This ties into having Neil Brown as a coach, where knowing how Dana Holgerson has handled games in the past, neither one, and I, at least me, I don't believe that we'd have even had five wins last season had Dana Holgerson stayed. Because I, of the way Neil handled the games that we did end up salvaging or you know keeping as close as they did, I don't think they would have ever made five wins with Dana as a coach, I, I'm classes. more inclined to I'm inclined to believe you. Another another close game, Oklahoma State, twenty thirteen loss. It was ten seven West of. Virginia at halftime. At halftime, you're thinking, "Hey, we're gonna pull an upset." They were ranked at that point. It's like, "Hey, we're gonna beat a ranked team." Everyone be quiet. Mm-hmm. We're gonna beat a ranked team, and then it just didn't happen. But yeah. they also had Cuba Hubbard, or yeah, who uh, yep. Yep. one of the best runners in college football. They could just run it down to your throat, and you couldn't do a single thing about it. Nope, absolutely. They, they were they were struggling that entire game. Yeah, and then of course they beat TCU. My dad was really it was really kind of weird because I was telling my dad going into that TCU game, I'm like we're four and seven, we're not going to a bowl game. That's just and TCU had to beat us to get to a bowl, and they were five and six. I'm like, if we can't go, they can't go either. That's beautiful. Yep. And, he's, and, and he's and he said, no, they can go. I was like, no, that's not how it works. If we no. can't go, you can't yeah. go either. That's exactly. And that ties in for me, that ties into my constant belief that since we've entered the Big 12, I truly think as a fan that TCU is that rival team that that whether no one else claims it, I don't care. Me, I think TCU is that rival. And that's one of the reasons why I agreed on that sense that if we don't make it, TCU doesn't make it. And I want that victory. I don't care if we're well, five and seven, I still want that victory. Exactly. Plus, five and seven looks a lot better than four and eight. Yep. It looks a lot better than four and eight. I, I agree with you, and that's the state of the program. I think the state of the program, though, will be I, – I, here's the question for you. Assuming we have a college football season in some form or fashion this fall slash winter, next spring, whatever the heck it is, does this season almost become a write-off in terms of judging a, a coach like Neil Brown? Because you just said, going into this season, it almost feels like we can make a run at this. But does the extenuating circumstances of that make it so, kind of go where, okay, we're in 2021 now. We go, uh, okay, 2020, we, let's say they go 6-6. Six and six. Let's just say that for the sure sake of the argument. Mm-hmm. And they probably could have gone 8-4. and four. Let's just say there's a few games where you go, okay, maybe we're left on the table. Six and six, not that bad. Twenty twenty one. Okay, we're really gonna load up now. Does it? Does it almost feel like it could be a write off if the season isn't written off? Hmm. So we're talking about like if if this season doesn't occur, like what? 
No, if, if this season, season, if this season does oh. occur, but you don't have okay. like like they miss their spring, they miss their spring game, and they miss yeah. the majority of spring drills. And let's say that training mm-hmm. camp is altered in some form or fashion, and there's okay. no fans in the stands or whatever. There's, college football is not what we know it as in 2020. Yeah. I see. Okay, so it's essentially given all of the stuff that's currently happened, and let's say the the Matt News do end up with that six and six record for the season. Is that something that we can all excuse? Yes, because a lot of people would say five and seven, you can go like seven and five, eight and four, six and Mm -hmm. six almost feels like on that same plane. I I think, I I think it's, it's kind of a yes, but it's also kind of a no. And I say no, because in the, and I'll start with that first, because you might think that most every other program will be dealing with the scenario as well. Yes. So it's, it's more of a how you deal with the program or how you deal with the, the situation rather than letting it, letting it be the excuse for you not doing as well. Um, but I do say that it will make it difficult for, and it should make it difficult for anybody in this situation to, to figure out how am I going to properly prepare you know, these young guys, and especially the guys that are just coming in and aren't quite familiar with the, with the way the team works. I think, and I think we'll see that play out with, with everybody. We'll see some of those uh, issues, maybe communication-wise, and you won't see as much of a, a cohesiveness with a lot of teams. And I think that comes down to how the coaches will handle it. Um, so it's kind of a, a yes and no question, uh, answer to that question. That's fair. I think being in a second-year head coach like Neil Brown is at West Virginia, I think it's a lot better than this happened last year. And and, and I say that not because he's a second-year head coach and he has his, his guys there, but never. I think he's – I when if you read about what college coaches go through whenever they take a job, they live out of a hotel. They don't mm-hmm. go shopping for a house. Immediately, because they're trying to get a staff together, they're trying to salvage a recruiting class, they're trying to get guys who, you know, if they think there's a kid who followed them, who was going to commit to them from their first, from their previous job, that will work at their mm-hmm. new job, they'll try to get get that kid there. They don't start looking at houses. They might have their wife look at a house or something like that, uh, but they won't get in on the action until like after spring football, because from the time you get hired, and particularly Neil Brown's situation, hiring being hired so late in the game, the early signing period had already happened. Polkson had already signed mm-hmm. that class, so Brown was in a spot where he had to assemble a staff, save a class, and get guys in, and then he could do all that. And this was supposed to be the the, the first real off season he had, which was his uh, wait. His off-season program, his spring football that we had his spring football last year, uh, his everything, and then now it got thrown into a tailspin with the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. I, but I, but I will say this: we just talked about how his na- how his coaching style inspired the name of the show. If there's anyone I would want to handle this situation, it would be him. Mm-hmm. He's so thought out. And I think that's going to be massive. And I don't, again, this is not the attack Holgerson show, but it would be foolish for us not to at least think about this. Imagine if Holgerson has still been at the helm during this. 
I, I'm not. I, I'm also not going to be confident with that. I mean, I don't think he he'd be doing, and I, I don't know what he's currently doing with with Houston. But I know that Coach Brown at this moment, he and I brought this up to you once. I noticed it. He's not only constantly keeping uh, his student athletes on in check, making sure that they're keeping themselves accountable. Um, you know, by the by the use of the the accountability teams that he gives us updates on every week, the student uh, uh, the student athlete uh, academic performers of the week, things like this. He's highlighting all these players and their achievements. He's also keeping himself accountable. And I'll, and the reason why he or the way he's doing this is he's posting daily photos of himself working out to keep himself accountable because he told us that not only because not only to keep himself accountable and to provide an example for the students and the players he coaches, he also wants to be able to fit in his, his last player Josie that he ever wore. That's his goal. And he's keeping himself accountable by letting us all into, you know, his workout, whether it's just a photo of, Hey, I worked out or I'm walking up these stairs today. Uh, or I'm getting a walk with my family. Yeah, and these are things that I didn't, I had never saw Dana Holgerson do uh, in terms of interacting with the fans, keeping himself accountable, or keeping the players accountable. And I think that's one of the big things that's going to show how he's handling this situation. And I think that's going to play out when the season decides to to start. I agree. Uh, so that's um, that's my uh, big. I, I agree with you. I really do. I think it's, I think it's great that he's doing that. So let's talk about Neil Brown a little bit more. We're now we've now officially made the transition from the Dana Holgerson show to the Neil Brown show. <laughs> uh, you brought up something. I'm going to let you explain it because I you you're the one that shared it to me. And well, it's only fair. You sent me an article yesterday, and I'd like you to go and do a little bit more depth about it. So now th- I only saw this article. Because of my girlfriend, she showed it to me, and I was wondering it's what you from saw. It. The voice of the voice of Motown dot com, and it, this seems like one of those really poorly thought out opinion pieces. And it, it, no, if it's the author or the website or anything like that, but it doesn't seem seem like anything that has any real evidence other than just I want to write this to see what reactions I get out of. And well, if that was the case, I guess you kind of succeeded because you're getting a reaction out of me. Well, yeah. um, so the, the title is Neil Brown will be West Virginia's head coach for the next 20 years unless this team comes calling. It's immediately that clickbait style uh, article that you're like, well, now what is he talking about? And the first thing you see is a picture of Neil Brown in University of Kentucky attire. And basically it just goes in to say it's, it's, it looks like Neil Brown's in it for the long run. He's 40 years old. He's laying down his roots. Everyone has essentially accepted him, uh, and he's got the support and admiration of probably the whole you know state's population of nearly two million people. Uh, but you know, it just shows or brings up that he's not from here. Obviously, he's uh, from Kentucky. He was born there. He he attended school there. He continued his athletic career there. He was a wide receiver at, at University of Kentucky, and he was the offensive coordinator there before he took his head coaching position job at Troy. So he obviously has ties to the area uh, being Appalachia, 
Apple Appalachia. Why am I saying? Uh, so, uh, b- being the uh, he has ties to the area. He's Appalachian, and yes, there we go. Um, and world's got tied there. Trying to debate on now with what way my brain wanted to say that word when it came out. <laughs> I'll give I'll give you a, a um, cool little way to remember that later. Uh, so it, it says, you know, as us being West Virginians, you know, Kentucky doesn't mean as much to us, obviously. Uh, but like Kentucky is in the SEC, and basically, it's using the 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 appeal of it's his home area, his its home state. And it's the SEC. Um, but you also Kentucky in the SEC. Now, Kentucky's not doing, has not been doing poorly by any means. Eight, they had an 8-5 and five season last year. They won a bowl game. Uh, they had a 10-3 and three season the year before that, won a bowl game. And they had two 7-6 and six seasons. They've got it rolling uh, there. Prior to that. They, they lost the bowl games of those two seasons. But since their current coach has taken over, uh, Mark Stoops in 2013, they went from a two and ten program to, you know, they went on the up, and now they're sitting at two or four straight winning seasons and four straight bowl appearances, uh, and coming off of two straight bowl victories. So the program is 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 not a bad program at this current moment, um, but they're also playing in the SEC with a ton of other, you know, people, and that's that depends on you know how the coach handles it, of course. But I I think basically that's the only. The only rationale this author uses, and that's the very, like, basically the last paragraph. He comes into the very last, last paragraph, the final paragraph going, would you blame Brown if he took more money to coach in his home team in probably the best conference in college football? Um, I mean, you wouldn't really want to blame anyone for taking more money and, and coaching in their home team, but you got to wonder if he actually would. And I think that what it comes down to, this is pretty much saying, oh, he, you, you th- he thinks he might, should that happen. But you also got to wonder, one, would they ever actually call him up? And I'm not saying they won't um, or they wouldn't. Uh, and two, you know, what would he think about, you know, and I don't think I know enough about this, uh, about Neil Brown as a person in terms of like where his, his, um, where he where his loyalty lies in terms of to say that based on two pieces of information, money, or I guess three, money, hometown, and, and the SEC, if I could say as a person that I, I would know what decision he would make. I mean, obviously you'd think, sure, I mean, money, sure, my hometown. Uh, but I don't know if I know enough about Neil Brown, and I don't think this guy would know enough about Neil Brown to 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 really confidently make that choice. And again, it, it really, as we know, the dynamics of college football and coaching, and in, even in the NFL, are always changing. You know, since we've watched this this team, they've been through Rich Rodriguez, Bill Stewart. Dana Holgerson and now Neil Brown. So they, they it just like 15 years. So it's yeah. So it can change and it can change quickly. Um, but it really wonders why even write this article, considering you have a guy who just came in, just got a power five job at a university, um, you know, who's, who's got one season under his belt. Why would you now write this article? Like what? It kind of just makes you wonder. 
And I really think it's mainly just an article to, to draw these possible reactions out of. Um, but I, I can't really, other, other than that, I don't really understand. Um, I, I, I couldn't make a conclusion. You know, would he do it? I don't know, maybe. But I could also see why he wouldn't, um, at least this early in the game why you wouldn't leave a program after a year. But we've seen it happen, I guess, in the past with other people. Here's my thoughts on that. Number one, this makes a lot more sense if the Kentucky job was either open or Mark Stoops was on the hot seat, neither of which is true. We just got done saying every reason in the world why Kentucky should give him a handsome pay raise and extension if they haven't already. I don't know. I'm not a Kentucky fan. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If that job was open or people thought it would be, it makes more sense. And no, I wouldn't blame him for doing that, but I am also with you in that he just got a Power 5 job, and he's only a year into this. And yeah, if he keeps – let's say they go on a run where they win 10 games uh, three out of five years, let's just say. 10 and three, three out of five years, and the the other two years are like nine and four or eight and five Mm -hmm. or whatever. That's a pretty good mark by anyone's stretch. That's a pretty good stretch by anyone's mark, right? So Absolutely. if he does that at West Virginia and Kentucky's job is up, whether it be Stoops goes somewhere else or is, is relieved of his duties, whatever, let's just say that the job comes open. Kentucky should probably take a look at it. But just because they call it, call it doesn't mean you have to answer the phone. It doesn't mean that at all. So if he answered the phone, I wouldn't blame him for doing it. But I also, I also wouldn't I, I understand why UK would do it. In regards to the SEC, yeah, it is the best conference in college football. There's not much debate about that. There really isn't. They, to me, the SEC settled that debate with the draft this past uh, this, uh, this a few weeks ago. They settled that. Mm-hmm. That 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 debate is over. But uh, I wouldn't blame him. I'll give. I'll speak to Neil Brown's character, and I I don't know the man personally, as cool as that would be. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I get the feeling that loyalty means something to him. So I, I, I would find it very difficult, especially if he does lay down his roots. I think the fact that he has two young kids here and they're going to mm-hmm. start school pretty soon, I think that will mean something. I really do. And again, I'm not claiming to know what his feelings are. I'm not claiming to know how he views the state of West Virginia or the education system around Morgantown. I'm not claiming to say that at all. But I just think that having that, I think that might play a role here because you're getting into school age. I mean, how many times have we talked about uh, players having to uproot their kids in professional sports from uh, schools? I mean, Brady had to do it with his kids in uh, when mm-hmm. he when you know, they're going to go to school. They're not staying in Boston to go to school. They're going down to Tampa. So, you know, you're getting all of that. And then coaches do the same thing with their family. So I think that will mean something to him more. I would have to get to know him more. And, and there's no real way to get to know a head coach unless you just listen to how he talks and what he says. But from, from our perspective. Uh, but I, I think loyalty means something to him. But I also think the article was – the timing is just really, really off to me because the Kentucky mm-hmm. job is not open right now. And I don't think it will be for a long time because I genuinely think Mark Soups is going to be there for a while. Unless another job comes up, and really, you've got an SEC gig. It would have to be like Ohio State or USC to even think about leaving. You know? It's like, 
what am I yeah. gonna do? I've got a head, I've got a head coach job in the SEC. I'm good. I, I made it to the pinnacle. If you're a head coach in the SEC, you made it to the pinnacle of your profession. Why would you leave? That would be like getting tenure at Harvard and then going to and then going to like uh, Columbia. You know, it's like okay, yeah, fine. What I have tenure here. Why would I? Why would I leave? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, it, not not at all. I mean, I think taking once you take a Power Five job, I think you you definitely tie into. I'm in the Power Five. This is something that a lot of coaches want. So maybe you know a lot of coaches maybe just are happy being in a group of five, and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are good um, programs but, too. It all. I think it comes down to a lot of things. Where if I'm a coach that will just take, follow the money, um, then a lot of places will immediately not want you because they don't think you'll be around for very long. Or you'll uh, be too rich for them. Yeah, or you'll be too rich for them. So, I, and I don't think I, I don't see much that tells me that he, that Neil Brown would do that at this current moment. I mean, he obviously went from Troy, built a successful program there, and then caught the eye of Power 5 programs. And now he's coaching one. Um, so now I think it comes down to as as before anybody would think about trying to snatch him from WVU, let him s- just see what he does with this program, see what kind of success he has. Um, because, I, I mean, especially considering, like you said, Kentucky has no job opening. Um, if for anybody who might have a job opening, uh, one year of coaching in a power five where you, you went five and seven, again, they could have been, you know, seven and five, possibly. Um, but one year coaching at a power five program, uh, it doesn't give, doesn't really give you a track record at that point, whether you are a winning coach or, or a losing coach that one year, you don't have a track record really in the, in the power five to, to have any other power five school go, listen, we want this guy unless they're just trying to jump the gun because they think he'll be that good, which he might be. And I, I hope he is that good. Um, I think it'd be it'd be foolish for anyone, uh, it, hypothetically, to actually try doing that to, with anybody, uh, to try hiring anybody after having that little data to work with. Exactly, I would I would caution anyone from hiring on a one year uh, based on a one year whim. That lightning in a bottle is cool. Don't try to catch it again. Mm-hmm. So let's let's move on now. Uh, the biggest story, I think that's the story we first started out with in terms of when I, we built this rundown. And you could argue that we placed it a little bit too too low in the show, but I think it kind of fits in terms of we're trying to get the big stuff out here. Then we're going to get to the cool stuff later on. So uh, the NCAA announced that uh, last week that players can now – there's a plan in place for players to be paid for – let me read this from the Associated Press. The NCAA announced Wednesday, last Wednesday, is moving forward with a plan to allow college athletes to earn money for endorsements and a host of other activities, including personal appearances and social media content. You and I are pretty much agreement in agreement that this is good. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. bad thing that comes out of this, but I want your opinion on this in terms of I know you. I know you're a pretty well-spoken man, but just give me more than just the yeah, it's fine. 
Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so uh, now, at first, when, when people were arguing over the last few years for, oh, we should pay these players money. Now, I was never against it in the sense that I, I thought they don't need money. Right. I never thought they didn't need money. I'm a student. I understand that we all need money and, and it's hard to make a decent living while, make, while going to school, um, you know, as a full time student, uh, especially a full time student athlete. Um, you know, my, my rationale at first was always, you know, a lot of these players, and this is at first, are getting, uh, you know, scholarships, a lot of them full time scholarships or full ride scholarships to play school. Uh, to play for the we ain't here to play school like and a lot of them are yeah i'll play <laughs> school uh someone show me how <laughs> um so a lot of them you know got essentially in its own way got paid and, and in its own very rudimentary way and that that was at first when i was thinking so i was like so i'm not really at that point i wasn't really like oh yeah you know they absolutely need to get paid uh, for these things. But then I started seeing more evidence in terms of you were getting players. Um, I can't remember the name of the player, or even what school, but you you probably at least remember the situation I'm talking about. Well, one player had a YouTube channel where he just had a YouTube channel. Isn't it the Central Florida viewing products uh, that actually, yeah, that might, I think so. But he, yeah, he had a YouTube channel and essentially he was, he was ruled ineligible by the NCAA for, what the bowl game or something like that season yeah. or he was ruled in, he was ruled ineligible because he was using youtube to make some extra money because he was using his likeness and that's that's where my 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 the switch started flipping where i was like listen i, I didn't quite understand how ridiculous those likeness rules were because now when i when uh ncaa the ncaa 14 or the ncaa football season uh, series video game series stopped being made i didn't quite understand the nuances behind it but now looking into these ev- pieces of evidence where players are trying to make a living on youtube or at least trying to make a little extra money on youtube they're getting ruled ineligible because it's their likeness well what else are they gonna i mean you know you could argue they could, don't have to use their face they could edit something but maybe these these people aren't skilled in that so it's youtube you know, they might not necessarily be using their them being a football player to make that money. Uh, and who knows? But the point was, he got ruled ineligible because of a YouTube channel. No one was endorsing him. Uh, like he wasn't getting brand deals, from what I'm aware. So, what was the big deal? And then I started realizing that now, now I do have a stance that. I don't have. I ne- I never had a problem with them getting paid to begin with, but now I really don't, and I think they should, and I think they should be able to take advantage of those things. And then, and it would also, because of my own personal wanting wants and needs, um, I also was hoping that it would open up that possibility for college football games to be made again. Apparently, that's not going to be the case. I so, don't want to go into that right now, but I think I saw something where they basically said, "Yeah, uh, video games are not sustainable in the in the model." Whatever that means. Yeah, and and I saw that. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I do. I already can guarantee you that some companies, and I think uh, I know you're aware of this one, the the company uh, Canuck Play, which is behind the Doug Flutie's Maximum Football. Um, an in essentially an indie football game trying to bring back college football, not a sponsor. <laughs> um, in case it in case cool, questions, but th- it's a really interesting thing. Oh, yeah, uh, it's a really interesting thing because 
they are already trying to capitalize on that and at least a little bit being hey if you're a player in this 20 in this 2021 season and you want to be paid for your likeness talk to us we'll see we'll see what can happen because now this thing is starting to to grasp hold and this company has already tried to to do things in terms of what can we do to make this more immersive as we're building this this brand to really bring college football back uh, to the video game world. Um, and they have, they have a motion capture athlete that, that is responsible for a lot of the movements they've captured in the game, um, who was a college athlete. And he wasn't, you know, getting paid for his likeness, of course, because that wasn't allowed. Uh, but he, uh, well, actually, I don't know if he was a Canadian uh, player or if he was playing in the NCAA. The point is he was an athlete they were capturing uh, but now he uh, fun news he was he was apparently drafted by the uh, canadian football league which is way to go him um so they've got uh they gave they've got that interest in trying to to do that um and hopefully somewhere down the line the ncaa changes their mind and and says you know uh they can make money on football games and we can license a football game um because everyone wants it it was such a popular game and I and without getting into the nuances of video game developing, I hope someone except uh, someone anyone anyone at all except for EA <laughs> jumps on that bandwagon to really try to college football two K twenty one because with the state of Madden and I won't get into that too much either. State of Madden's not good, and I don't want to see an NCAA game given how poorly yeah. Madden's been lately. Uh, but I. I I, I, I don't see it as a problem um, for students to make money off of this. And I definitely wouldn't be uh, be against the possibility of someone really, really advocating for bringing back licensed NCAA football games, basketball baseball games. games. I, I used to play NCAA basketball and even baseball. I, I used to play NCAA basketball, I think 10. I borrowed it from my neighbor and played it. Um, and those are just, just fun games. It gives you that extra bit of excitement that playing now just doesn't give you. Also, when we were kids, it helped cure a bad snow day. Oh, yes, uh, yes I did. sold my copy of NCAA 10 before and, I knew they would stop playing the games. I sold it for thirty dollars to a friend of mine. Big uh, mistake on my part. I, I had so my my dad would whenever he would buy the new NCAA games, he would always give me the year before. And I would play them. And so the last one I own is Madden uh, NCAA 13, uh, which at this current moment, I'm not entirely sure where I put it. I think I left it at my mom's house. I can go check for um, it. <laughs> but he, he swears, my dad swears that he gave me NCAA 14 um, because he just wasn't playing it. But I, to this day, could not verify that. And I could also tell you he wouldn't have given it to me because that's the last one made. You know the last, so yeah. he would have been playing it. So I, I th- and I think he probably lost it, not in a move, but because um, he was already solidified in his home at that point, in his car home at that point. But um, I don't know where it went. I I don't think I ever had. I think I borrowed it once and played it for like a month and gave it back. But I have no idea where it went, and it's been probably five years since I last even recall seeing it. All I remember when I played it at that point was. WVU had just gotten their their new uniforms at that point, and they weren't in that game, and it annoyed me. You know what my favorite <laughs> uniform combination uh, to to wear in those old like in twenty thirteen was 
Gray helmet, gold jersey, <laughs> gray pants. That was really, I love really, wearing that combination. Uh, extremely appealing. I, I would wear that. Before extremely I would wear appealing like, the gold blue, the blue gold blue. I would wear the gray before I wear the mm-hmm. uh, before I wear the the other one. The, yes, those they were. were sleek. The new ones are pretty good too. Yeah, I, I a lot of people dislike them because oh, it's no new colors, and I'm like. The Eat basketball team had black jerseys. Here's the same thing. Those same people who are like, it's not Mountain Dakota's, but the same ones calling for a blackout against Oklahoma two years ago. Right. And, and, think, and, then, they, and then thinking that it was going to happen as, on a whim. Like, like you don't go to Nike and say, we need a uniform in uh-uh. two weeks. Nope. You just don't do it. Yeah. Now, now, I don't argue, I don't disagree with the fact that that would have been awesome to see. But I realistically understood that was never. I'm also given to understand Shane Lyons is not a big fan of black uniforms, and it's his call. As athletic director, it's his yeah, call. Yeah, it really is. Like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many people petition on Change.org. You're no. not getting those black uniforms. Here's my stance on players. <laughs> here's my stance on players getting money. Let me paint you a scenario. Pat White was beloved and still is in the state of West Virginia. I have an autograph from him sitting in my room. And I got that after he graduated from West Virginia, before he went to the NFL draft. He came over to Beckley, and I actually have two things signed by him. I have, no. I met him twice. Anyway, the point is this. I have an autograph, uh, a photograph of Pat White and Deshaun Butler. Both came from after they were, uh, presumably after they uh, left WVU. Pat White went on a tour around the state. He could have done that after 2007, after the Fiesta Bowl win, but he couldn't because he couldn't capitalize on his, mm-hmm. his name Mike was an image. Let's just say a car dealership. Like, Northside Automotive at that point sponsored WVU Athletics in Somersville. They were really mm-hmm. big on that. Let's say Northside had called, uh, had called Pat White and said, hey, Pat, we got $1,000 for you to come here on like some Saturday in June and sign autographs for us. You in? Who's going to say no to that? No one. And who's going to, and here's the thing, the same people who would say, oh, he can't do that, we the same people first in line to get his autograph. It, it makes no sense. There's nothing wrong yep. with this. There's nothing wrong with this. And here's the thing. Let's just, let's play on the YouTube thing. Let's just say you're a student at, at WVU or any other school, and you launch a massively successful YouTube channel. Who am I to tell you you can't make money from that just because you're not playing football or any other athlete or any other sport? Exactly. What, what am I, am I going to go in there and tell you you're going to school? You should only focus on school. You can't have this YouTube channel. Turn it off right now. If you say that to someone, they're going to tell you you're crazy. Tell that to an athlete, they're going to get behind you mm-hmm. full, the, the full way. That's no. wrong in every way, shape, or form. The thing that I – the thing that I saw most about people trying to disagree with that players should be paid or be able to take advantage of the likeness, the, and a lot of the, the most common argument I saw was, "Oh, the, you'll see these college athletes driving Lamborghinis around." No, you think they're going to be making a million dollars a year on their likeness as a college athlete? A lot of these players aren't well known, and you know they might you know bank on the fact that they're a player, and someone will be, "Hey, we'll, we'll pay this player for an autograph or something," but. 
I would guarantee you that would be an extremely, extremely small percentage oh, okay. of any of those players that would have that chance Here, to even make that much money. But that was the most that. common thing here's I saw. Your, here's your test. Name two players on West Virginia from last season where this would apply to them on the football team. Name two players who would have people knocking down their door with $1,000 for them. Yes. Two players from last season? I mean, for personally for me, I'd go with the, uh, the Stills okay. brothers, at That's least fair. one of them. The other one would be maybe Jarrett Deggy, maybe. But besides that, that's mm-hmm. three guys out of like a 90-plus guy football team. And then you're dealing with the guys exactly. in the like Seaboy would have people offering him money for his, for his autograph. Uh, mm-hmm. Jordan McKay might. Derek mm-hmm. Culver probably would have people uh, asking for his autograph. Most of the rest of that team, probably not. So, and then certainly on the baseball team, there's not really a whole lot of people that come to, to, comes to mind. And then you get into the non-revenue sports like uh, soccer, golf, swimming, wrestling, other stuff like that, track and field. Mm-hmm. Those guys, those people, unless yeah. you are really, really into that sport, you don't know their names. So this notion that you're going to be mm-hmm. handing out free money to every athlete on campus is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Exactly, and it's not going to be the un- and it's not going no, to be the not. university paying them. And I think a lot of people assumed that oh, WVU is going to be paying you know Jarrett Dagey fourteen million dollars a year to just keep playing football in college, like. Uh, that was an extremely yeah. high number just to, to beat the point home. But, um, and that's just not going to happen. The university wouldn't do that because they're already, you know, giving these students scholarships, some of them, not all of them, of course. But um, yeah, that's just not financially viable for any institution, even WVU, who has multi billions of dollars in endowments. It's just not going to happen. And even this, I remember when this ruling came out, that was only going to apply, I think, to certain schools like WVU, like from my alma mater, Concord, won't apply to mm-hmm. them. Because Concord has 2,500 people on campus, thereabouts, as enrollment. It's not a very big school. Concord mm-hmm. can't afford to do that, even if they could. So, and, and let's be honest. If you're uh, a uh, dealership in like Princeton or Bluefield, and I give you a chance to have a Virginia Tech player or a Concord player, which one are you taking? Virginia Tech. Yeah. Fine. And that's no disrespect to CU. I love it. But it's just not, it's not realistic. So you're only going to have a certain amount of people, a certain amount of schools having this apply to them. What's the problem? What's the problem? It, what people think this is going to, what people thought was this is going to get in the way of our enjoyment of March Madness. No, it, it won't. If anything, it'll keep the people that, uh, you know, it might keep the person that's keeping your, that's getting your team into March Madness. It might keep them, keep them in school for a while because they're getting paid. Instead of the NBA calling and mm-hmm. saying, hey, we've gotten multi-million dollars for you, it might be, hey, I can send this money back to my family and my family can, oh, I don't know, have a better life because of this. And then when I get to the NBA, they can have a really, really good life. There's nothing wrong with it. There really isn't. Yeah. And it's, it's, not, it's not that bad. It really isn't. It. it and, you know, I was watching a documentary, one of the College Football 150 series ESPN did on the college football player on Sunday mm-hmm. night. And believe it or not, at one point, scholarships were outlawed by the NCAA. 
scholarships were not you weren't allowed to have scholarships. That was basically that was seen as signing a contract, a professional contract. And amateurism has always been important to the NCA. They said basically there was a guy who, if I have my facts right, there was a guy who was playing for a school in Colorado, who died of his injuries, and uh, this, his widow said that basically he t- he signed a contract with his with his scholarship. And I want the money from that from that scholarship, and they freaked out about it. And the NCA was like, "Okay, you can't do that. Scholarships are outlawed." They eventually changed their minds, obviously. But at one, this is not a new topic. Players being paid, but it it, it is it's a topic that I think we finally come to our senses of the fact that a, a little money here or there, five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks here and there, is not a bad thing. It, it mm-hmm. it's, it's not exactly. I mean, and and it's not. And I think I think we've already hit on this point. It's not guaranteed money. We've shown, or we've given all the examples of why that's not guaranteed money. And it's there's nothing wrong with it. That doesn't mean that these students can't still you know walk at Taco Bell at you know doing their thing and make money if they so choose. Um, and, and I guarantee you, they're still not going to be making an uh, an extreme amount of money. Uh, they could be, you know, depending on how well it, uh, it is, but I highly doubt that very many of them would be. I mean, for, to put it in perspective, me as a, as a grad student, granted that's not my full-time job and I, it's not something I'm going to be making money off of forever, but I, I get like a 13 grand stipend for the whole school year and then the summer is dependent on various things. Um, so really I make less than minimum wage over the whole school, over the whole school course a year on average um while i'm here and and i'm actually as as my assistantships state i'm actually not allowed to work any other job so um because of my but that's what i uh came into as a as a grad student at least for my assistantships but um I, i would have a hard time believing that many of these students would make you know Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, even doing these, because they have other things to do as well, and they're not going to be able to go out and do forty or fifty thousand uh, dollar, you know, signings a year, especially given all their commitments. So, I think, in a perspective wise, I wouldn't think that any of them would be making extreme amounts of money. Maybe as much money as I'm making, and that's just because there's a time. Let me spin this another way things. too. Not just. Let me spin this another yeah. way. The Mountaineer Athletic Club, the school's athletic fundraiser, every May, like toward Memorial Day weekend, they when they stop in Beckley, but they do it every May. They do not this May, obviously, but they do it. Uh, the Mountaineer coaches care of them when they get the football coach, whoever it is, Brown now, uh, Huggins, Maisie is usually in the baseball team, usually in the Big Twelve tournament by that point, so the, he can't be there. But other coaches, like the soccer coach and the coaches, uh, will go around the state, and basically it's a fundraiser. Wouldn't it be cool to have a player in that so uh, fans can meet their favorite player instead of meeting the head coach? So, yeah, so I, if think you, be, I think that'd be something to – Exactly. So like if you can know. bring uh, Huggins and Chibwe, for example, or you can bring Neil Brown and uh, Jarrett Deggy, for example, or Letty Brown or whoever, you can have that. And so you can – it's basically that much more marketable, really. So, and if you brought more people who yeah. aren't interested in coaches but interested in players, it can raise more money for the university. There's no bad part of that. 
It really isn't because of the money you're going to get. No, not at all. And I'm not saying it would be like an exponential amount of money. You would get more than that. But I'm saying it could be you could get that much more money with going into goes into the university. So into the Mountain Athletic Club Fund. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. And now that we can actually entertain that notion, I hope that when they do it next May, they include them. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Sorry to cut you off there, but I did have that idea. So, uh, I'm gonna. You have anything to add? Do you want to finish that thought? Okay. No, so, I think I think. Uh, all right, think let's move on now there. to the last West Virginia related topic of the uh, of the show. Uh, on Friday night, I was looking for something to watch on TV. I started watching Titanic, but then I just gave up. I don't know why, but I did. Um, and NBCSN, of course, if you know anything about college football on TV, you know NBC has Notre Dame games. NBCSN has been trying to fill content because there's no hockey. The uh, playoffs would be happening now, and well, that's not going to happen right now. Uh, they've been trying to fill content. They've been doing Notre Dame from the vault. They showed the 1989 Fiesta Bowl in the 88 season. West Virginia lost to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame subsequently won the national championship. So here's my question to you. If you could pick any WVU game to be shown like on ESPN or ABC or whatever, because like, they're showing all these classic games, like they showed the 2016 Ohio State-Michigan game, the game of like the fourth and one that wasn't, uh, uh, what game would you pick to, for the whole country to see and remember that period of West Virginia football? I mean, right off, it, these, these come from just pure nostalgia of having watched these games. I, I'd right off the bat, it'd be a toss up between any of those BCS victories that they had, simply because those are games that WVU came in, the entire nation said, they're not winning this game. Who's WVU or things like that? And they come out and won. And which would, that, that would tie into our, our state of the program question earlier, where you, you really hit that point home that these guys have had success and they are a name that should be known because of what they have done in that type of adversity, I guess you could put it. Um, and those are probably the obvious choices that probably any one of us would like to see again. Um, because I can't tell you a time other than watching some video highlights uh, every now and then where I've actually sat and watched any of those games over again. Um, but I, I would also, I, I don't know much about any of the other bowl games, you know, that they've been to prior to me watching. Um, I mean, before the Sugar Bowl victory, the year that we uh, that I started watching, they hadn't won a bowl game in five years, the Music City Bowl. And before that, it was 16 years and the Blue Bonnet Bowl against TCU. Um, any of those, I mean, I think any of those, those older games, um, especially the victories, of course, being, hey, you want to see them win, uh, would be fun to watch after or simply because I had never watched any of them. I mean, I'd, I'd say because of interest, because I'd never actually realized until what the last year or so, uh, maybe two that Mark Bolger uh, was a Mountaineer and had some decent success in the, in the, in the NFL. Uh, even watching the insight.com bowl, uh, where they lost 34-31 back in 98. That would be fun to watch, just to see you know him in action and see see a Mountaineer that 
uh, I guess it's far and few between in terms of having some decent success in the NFL. Um, that would probably be fun to watch. I'm going to pick, and those are all, that's a fair spot. I'm going to pick a game that I don't, the triple overtime 05 Louisville game. The arrival of Pat White in Steve Slade. That started to me the modern era of West Virginia football. I know they'd had some success with beating Virginia Tech in 04, and, and I know that kind of announced everyone that Rich Rob was building a program there, but I think the a Louisville 05 three overtime game, I think that really sent everyone a message mm-hmm. like, okay, West Virginia is for real. Okay, Th- these guys can play. And I, that's why I would pick the second game would be the Fiesta Bowl for the simple reason of we we haven't been to Oklahoma since we won the Big 12. I want to see I want to see Oklahoma an Oklahoma loss, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, that th- that those are the two games that stand out to me. You couldn't go wrong with like the seventy sixty three Baylor game, uh, the Orange Bowl, uh, the Sugar Bowl. You couldn't go wrong with oh gosh another game the oh uh, nine uh, school up north game the Tyler Bittenkurt last minute uh, last second field goal. That was a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 11 brawl, uh, those games are games that stand out for a variety of reasons. Even, but I'd also throw in, uh, sorry there, I'd also throw in the, um, was it 2011 oh, yeah. Marshall game yeah. or 2010? Um, the one where it looked like Marshall oh, yeah. might actually beat West Virginia yeah. the first time. And then we sat there, I think you know, Geno Smith yeah. was, yeah, Geno Smith was the quarterback there. And, and I watched that game with my neighbor. Um, I walked up. Uh, and watched it with him, and we were sitting there going, "Oh lordy, they're about to do it!" And then they lead what two ninety plus yeah. drive, yard drives for scores. It was twenty ten, and they win that game. It was twenty ten. I had tickets too. the next week to the Maryland game. Went there, and uh, yeah, that was the. You're right. That was like a ninety four and ninety six yard drives to go down and win the game. That was on a Friday night down in uh, Huntington. You know, I was at the 2007 uh, game in Huntington. Yeah. Sat right in the middle. There's like 10 West Virginia fans in the, in the back of the Marshall end zone. And it's just like, well, they got out to a big lead <laughs> in the first half. They were down big at halftime, West Virginia was. And we're like, well, how are we going to get out of here alive, boys? So I'd look for the exits. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, 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 it didn't you help that my dad and I had striped our truck. In WVU colors, and we drove it down there to the game. So we're like, we're very easily identifiable. <laughs> it didn't help. Um, wow. But that's those are my two um, uh, nominees for that. So let's wrap up the show and let's talk about the Patriots released on Wednesday. I think it was that or Thursday. It was last week. The All Decade Team from the 2010s. So I'm going to read off the offense, and then I'm going to read off the defense. We'll break this down. We'll talk offense, defense, and special teams to, to wrap it up. So offense, uh, Tom Brady is quarterback. No surprise there. James White and James Dev- and uh, Devlin are the two um, running backs. Amendola is a flex. At receiver is Edelman and Wes Welker. Tight end is Rob Gronkowski. From right to left, it's Sebastian Vollmer, Joe Tooney, David Andrews, Logan Mankins, and Nate Solder. On the line, that's a pretty good team, mm-hmm. and obviously it was, it's an all-decade team. It should be good, yeah. but still, and tells you how much the Patriots have been. Exactly. Now, James White's there, and that, that one, I, this is I hadn't think about until just now. Obviously, James White deserves to be there, but 
but I guarantee you that someone, and I haven't looked through any of the comments or anything like that, because I just kind of strive away from some of those with seeing how many people complain, especially New England's fans. Um, someone could argue LeGarrette Blunt, given how, how powerful he was for the short time he was there. Um, and I think if he was there instead of James White, and I'm not saying he should be, I would also not have an issue with if, if Blunt was there. Um, and then even, even Dion Lewis. Uh, but I think James White was a great, a wonderful pick considering. I mean, yeah, he and he scored the winning touchdown on that toss. So, you know, you do that <laughs> and cap the biggest comeback in championship game history, you kind of get your way on yeah. the all decade team. So, exactly. I have no objections there. I find it interesting that Joe Tooney is there because it doesn't feel like he's been there for a while. He's always established himself as really that good. On defense, mm-hmm. uh, from top to bottom, it's Stephon Gilmore at corner, Chandler Jones at defensive end, big Vince Wilfork and Lawrence Guy in defensive tackle. Uh, Marquise Flowers is defensive end. Malcolm Butler is cornerback. Kyle Van Noy, Gerard Mayo, Dante Hightower, and Rob Ninkovich are the linebackers. And Patrick Chung and Devin McCourty are the safeties. Now, I got to say it's interesting. Now, again, no issue with these choices, but I do definitely see that it's interesting that you have a couple players who had been on the team for a very, very short amount of time, you know, coming from other organizations that uh, hit that mark. Uh, you know, Stefan Gilmore, only been on the team. Is that just, I think he finished up his third that season. That sounds right. Third, third at least, at least three, if not four. And then, yeah. And Malcolm Butler was on for two, yeah. three seasons. Um, and then, you know, he was gone after 52. Um, well, I guess that would have been, see, 49. Yeah. 50, his, his, yeah, 40, his rookie contract. His yeah. Season. So, so about, about half the decade, I guess. Um, they annoy for a very short period of time. Uh, a very productive a, period of time. It's not really about how long you've been there. Yeah. It's not really about how long you've been there. It's how productive and how much of an impact you want on the organization. And these are all, they all made extreme impacts for the short periods they were there. Malcolm Butler clinched a Super Bowl as a rookie. Stephon Gilmore won Defensive Player of the Year, the first time for a Patriot yeah, in what? Just about. Ever or in a very long time. And, you know, Kyle Vannoy was just, you know, a powerhouse. And then, of course, Rob Ninkovich is, is and now And on the coaching staff. Um, yeah. And Gerard Mayer is on the coaching staff there. Um, and obviously, Vince Wilfork is, had retired. Not very long ago, um, as a Patriot. As I well. also I got it so wrong. It's Trey Flowers, not Marquise Flowers. I apologize for that. I want to make that correction. And special teams mm-hmm. is Stephen Dostowski, punter at kicker. Punter is Ryan Allen. Return man is Edelman, and then special teams is Matthew Slater and the head coach. No surprises, Bill Belichick. Guys, there literally can't be another head coach. Yeah, and these ones you basically. Yeah, these ones you basically cannot argue at all against because they've had no other special teams players um, give, except for last season. Jaskowski's um, uh, been there, had been there for th- 14, 14 years. Ryan Allen had been there for a while. Uh, well, I guess prior Zoltan Mesko. Uh, there was somebody else who I don't remember. That's right. Don't mess with Zoltan. A, and, uh, and then, you know, Edelman had been has had been the Ratana for a while along with a few other people they had cycled him out. And then you you can't not pick Matthew Slater because he is basically the heart and soul of this team. 
Like, if there's anybody who you could call the heart and soul of the New England Patriots, it is Matthew Slater. Matthew Slater is the embodiment of the Patriot way. And especially given his performance last season. Exactly. I mean, he, he, he does his job. He doesn't complain. And it paid off last season because he got his first t- career touchdown out of it. Um, and that was just fun to see. That was fun to see him get that and and be able to and he's like you know it's not about the scoring it was about doing my job and he got to score while doing his job you can't go wrong with that and it was a fun thing to that watch. was fun so was this i we went way over what we hoped i think we're sitting here at like the official clock we were talking for a few minutes before the show on this so we've been about 116 minutes thereabouts that's almost two hours wow <laughs> So much for that. So much for that. If you're listening to this, yeah. I don't normally say this. I would recommend taking like an hour and then calling it halftime and then come back and finish it. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know that I would. I don't think I would sit there for two hours and and listen to this. Certainly not myself. But. Man, we just got done telling our friends in our group chat we were going to try to make this more efficient. So much for that. Hopefully, there's no major news that comes out in terms of, uh, in terms of like college football being canceled or the NFL doing whatever. We hope there's nothing like that. But if there is, we'll talk about it. The NFL schedule will be released on Thursday, so we'll have that to talk about. We'll break down the Patriots schedule. That probably could be our show next week, going game by game. And thinking, okay, here's what we're thinking about. Here's what we're, you know, what could be the key here? Uh, the free season schedule should be out. Could be should be out as well this week. So we'll talk about that. But uh, as always, thanks for tuning in, especially this week, because I hope if you make it to this point in the show, I sincerely thank you for doing that. So, Darren, any final words on your end? Other than stay safe and stay sane, that's all I got. I agree with that one. So until next week, we will be back. This has been Scientific Coaching episode number three. I'm Lucas Berry for Darren Shrewsbury Jr. signing off. Okay. I went at a little bit of pad there. I got burned with that last week. <laughs> All right. We are good. So I'll just cut this and uh, I'll cut the end of that. I'll chop off the top as well. And then I will do that. But first, I'm going to eat because it's 1 o'clock and I'm hungry. Yep. Yeah, it is food time. (laughs) Damn right it is. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you later. See you.